there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. It was the early years of the 20th century. She came from Mathura in India. It is a city of the Saptapuri the seven holy pilgrimage sites of the Hindu religion. At its heart stands the Keshav Dev Temple, a huge complex sitting on land that has been occupied by holy temples for over 5,000 years. This temple was her favorite place in the world. Her name was Lugdi Devi. When she had a free morning, Lugdi would climb the many steps leading up to the temple. Ever since childhood, this had been routine. Lugdi Devi was happily married to a successful local merchant, even though she was barely more than 20 years old. She was devoted to her marriage and her new role as a wife. She wanted for nothing but a simple, happy existence. But there was still one piece missing, Lugdi Devi's only desire. It's what drove her every morning to wake up and climb these stairs. It's what drove her to commit herself to the God she truly believed in, the god of her home. And it's what, in the end, would kill her. Lugdi Devi wanted to be a vessel of life. Instead, she died at the age of 23. But what happens to a young life full of such hope? Is it simply extinguished? Cleared away for the next batch of fresh faces with fresh dreams? Or is there a more hidden process? where our energies aren't lost into endless space and time. But return to the world, to life, reborn. In Western terms, it's the idea of a soul being passed on to a new body. But in Hinduism, it is known as the karmic cycle. And the process is reincarnation. What exists between life and death? That is the question the karmic cycle seeks to answer. Outside of religious institutions, it is an idea that has fascinated many, from gurus and scientists alike. It seems natural. Just as our bodies turn back to Earth, our souls become the fuel for more souls. Could it be this simple? That is the question at the heart of our new two-part mystery. It is the true story of a girl named Shanti and a story of the previous life she might have lived and, controversially, claimed to recall in precise detail. It is an investigation into her claims and experience. 
In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this podcast, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every week, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Claire. This is our first episode on the mystery of Shanti Devi's reincarnation. She was a young girl born in Delhi in the 1930s, who from age four onwards claimed to recall her immediate past life, and for those that believe in reincarnation, has become the most definitive evidence yet of its existence. The investigation that followed opened some fascinating doors into the scientific investigations of reincarnation and the merits of her claims. If you like the show, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. A new episode comes out every Thursday. While you're there, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, on Twitter at Parcast Network, and at Parcast.com. To understand the cosmic dance of two different existences that make up this mystery, we must first begin with an exploration of Hinduism. Generally seen as a major religion of the Indian subcontinent, Hinduism is complex. It came to be as a synthesis of many different Indian cultural ideas and practices. There's no central authority like the Pope or even a clear hierarchical system of local leadership. There are multiple texts that bind together the belief system, like the Vedas, the Upanishad, and the Bhagavad Gita. Only in the West is it categorized strictly as a religion. In the East, it is simply Dharma, a way of life. Due to this diverse and fragmented origin, it would be inaccurate to say that the concept of reincarnation is a central tenet of Hinduism. However, the idea of karma is present throughout much of Hindu belief. It is the idea of action and consequence, the wheel of morality that keeps the system turning, the cycle of life, death, and rebirth known as samsara. Within the idea of this karmic cycle, reincarnation rears its head. Adherents to the idea believe that situations in our present life reflect actions in our past lives, and that our current actions will reflect as such on the next life. That is, unless your current life reaches an enlightened state, after which your cyclically restless soul will finally come to rest in the internal embrace of nirvana. This link between lives, reincarnation, is not exclusive to Hinduism or related beliefs. In fact, many religious texts across the spectrum drop hints or passages that seem to address this idea. It's an appealing one in many ways, a hopeful one, a dream of rebirth and redemption. But what evidence is there of such a fantastic idea? Often it's children who claim to remember visions of past lives. But perhaps there is a kernel of truth hidden in these children's minds. If so, their poster child should undoubtedly be Shanti Devi. Much of her history was diligently recorded in Stuart Lonerstrand's work, I Have Lived Before, The True Story of Shanti Devi. We've turned to this resource during our own research and found an incredible tale that could prove reincarnation does exist. It's not an easy history to believe. Reincarnation is something that is out of reach of modern science. But these recorded events made us believe this was a mystery worth exploring. Believe it or not, 
What follows is the version of the story according to the person who lived it. The information was collected from her biography, including the reports of witnesses and Shanti Devi herself. Shanti Devi was a girl who believed she was born into a new body with her old soul still self-aware. Was it just a child's silly imaginings? Was it a more serious mental diagnosis? Or was it something truly unexplained? Was it reincarnation? Whatever the cause, Shanti Devi's life began on December 11, 1926, deep in the heart of the Indian metropolis of Delhi. Her family lived in an overcrowded district, full of vibrant and chaotic life. They weren't poor, but lived simply and devoutly. They were surrounded by all types. Fanatics, working men, scholars, lawyers, merchants, and the homeless. This is the atmosphere of Shanti Devi's early years. She didn't react well. By the age of four, she was almost completely silent and withdrawn. Shanti seemed to fear the world outside her door. Her parents often noted a confused look upon her face whenever she peered out the window. It was odd. Most children of the city never gave the chaos a second thought. It was all they knew. But Shanti, she seemed to know something that no one else around her did. It gave this near toddler a strange and disorienting maturity. Shanti enjoyed spending time alone, free from the world. She was even distant from her siblings and often played alone in the family's small courtyard. That was when her older sister noticed how often Shanti spoke to herself, often using strange words that her sister had never heard. When her sister complained to their mother, Prem Pyari, Prem would wave off the concerns. Shanti was just a child. All children said nonsense words. But these weren't made-up words. She spoke words in another dialect. Prem's first hint of the truly unusual arrived when Shanti approached her with a very specific request. In a quiet, sweet voice, Prem's daughter asked, Mommy, where is my picture of Krishna? Many peculiarities flashed through Prem's mind. First of all, how did her four-year-old daughter know of the Hindu god Krishna? This wasn't a god who was particularly celebrated in their household. And they certainly never gave young Shanti a picture depicting Krishna. But when Prem told Shanti as much, tears welled in her daughter's eyes. The girl had an intimate connection with the idea of this picture of Krishna. She swore up and down that it used to hang above her bed and that she prayed to it every morning and every night. Prem told Shanti's sister to watch over her closely for the next few weeks. But Shanti's behavior didn't improve. It worsened. Where before she was polite and calm, she became temperamental and obstinate. Day after day, Shanti bombarded her sister and mother with requests for the picture of Krishna. Her young temper was stretched to the limit, and her usually tame emotions grew powerful. Prem did all she could to keep Shanti's odd behavior from the girl's father, Rang Bahadur. But it was getting harder and harder for Prem to disguise her own fear. Something was wrong with her daughter. This fear finally became overpowering when, one morning, four-year-old Shanti defiantly walked up to her mother and stated, quote, You are not my real mother. 
I am a Brahmin wife from Mutra. I'm not living with you. This is not my real home. These clothes are not my real clothes. You have nothing to do with me. End quote. The shock was overwhelming. This was what Shanti believed, that she was another person. And with the added signifier of Brahmin, an upper-class married woman at that. Prem didn't know what to do. Soon Shanti asked for her red sari, a traditional Indian dress. Like the picture of Krishna, this was something the girl had never actually had. But Prem was tired of fighting. She went out to the bazaar and bought her daughter a red sari. She made a show of presenting it to Shanti, hoping this would be enough to appease whatever imaginative game the girl was playing. The four-year-old rejected it on the spot. Not only was it not her red sari, but Prem didn't even know the proper fabric to buy. With yet another stroke of defiance, Shanti delivered another shocking message. Shanti said her husband was the only man who would know the proper sari, as he's a skilled silk trader. This was the final straw. It was too much for Prem to bear alone. When Rong got home from work, Prem took him aside as their dinner simmered away in the kitchen. She described everything that Shanti had said so far. The picture of Krishna, the red sari, the claims that she is married and lives in a place called Mutra. Prem had never even heard of such a place. Was this all a fantasy? Was their child delusional to the point of no return? Rang took a moment to collect his thoughts. It was clear that Prem wasn't exaggerating the issue. His wife was not an overly dramatic woman. She was practical as he was, faithful and dedicated to her family. If she claimed there was something wrong with Shanti, it had to be so. Then it clicked. Mutra. Prem was right. There was no place officially called Mutra. But if one asked the people of Mathura where they lived... They would say with easy nonchalance, Mutra, of course. It was a local colloquialism for the name of their city. As soon as Rong identified Mutra as Mathura, one of Prem's other pressing questions was answered. Mathura, the holy city, is known as the birthplace of the god Krishna. This explained Shanti's obsession with Krishna. If she believed she came from Mathura, she would logically be a worshiper of Krishna. But none of this eased the parents' minds. None of this was logical in the least. Matura was 160 kilometers away. How could their four-year-old know of it? And things were about to get worse. It was Shanti's sister with a perplexed look on her face. She told her parents that Shanti just said something completely unbelievable, that she was pregnant. Over dinner, everyone was silent. Everyone tried to ignore the elephant in the room that took the form of a four-year-old girl. But Shanti's defiance continued. She would not touch her plate. Rung was pushed over his limit. Frustrated, he verbally lashed out at his daughter, ordering her to eat the meal her mother had prepared. Prem tried to stop Rung as she already sensed what the response would be, and she did not want to hear it. Shanti, coolly and calmly, said that Prem, first of all, was not her mother, just as Rong was not her father. Secondly, she would not be eating this curry, as it was not sattvic. Sattvic diets centered around vegetarian meals, not the most popular conceit in Delhi. Rong was truly confounded. 
Shanti had been eating meals like this since birth. As a four-year-old, how could she even know about sattvic practices? Mathura, of course, was a city known for its sattvic-style meals. Yet again, evidence pointed towards Shanti understanding a culture she had never been close to. A culture she never should have known about in the first place. Shanti told her parents that she would prefer to prepare her own food from now on. Defeated, Rang agreed and allowed Shanti to leave the table. After dinner, everyone retreated to their rooms, afraid to push the issue any further. As Shanti lay awake at night, she decided to give herself over to the visions that constantly pulled at her mind. The twinkle of ankle bracelet churis. The gorgeous red sari. The yellow house that beckoned her home. And finally, the voice. The voice that prayed to Krishna in a darkened and holy place. The Dvarkadish temple in Mathura. That night, alone in her room, Shanti finally heard the name. Her name. The name of the woman that Shanti knew she was. It meant heavenly doll. And like a doll, this woman was nested inside of Shanti, begging to be set free. This woman was Lugdi Devi. Though they shared a surname, it was only coincidence, as Devi is a common Indian name. But what of the connection between them? It seems that Lugdi Devi's tragically short life wasn't quite over after all. We'll return to our story in just a moment. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. And now, back to the story. That night, shut away in their own bedroom, Rang and Prem could not sleep either. There was no denying the situation any longer. Shanti, who was still only four, wasn't just playing a game with them. In their minds, there was only one possibility. Their daughter has remembered a past life. No, it was more than just remembering, experiencing, and potentially regressing. While in Western cultures, this may seem like a huge leap, a religious family like Rang and Prem's is steeped in the belief system of karma and reincarnation. It's a foundation of their faith. And as Rang fearfully recalled, ancient Hindu texts spoke ill of those who were able to recall past lives. The common acceptance was that such people were cursed to unhappiness in their present timeline. Unable to reconcile between two selves, society rejected them as mad and lost souls. They were karmic failures. Not only were their old selves unable to let go of life, the egocentric failing that leads to being reincarnated in the first place, but their new selves were too weak to attain full form. This, of course, was a rare occurrence. To many, it was seen as a myth, a bedtime tale for misbehaving children, an impossibility. 
But Rang and Prem now faced this impossibility as the duty of their daily lives. Their daughter was caught in karmic crossfire. Who would believe them? Who would help? Rang made the final call. This would be the family's secret. They were to tell no one. Shanti was to come directly home after school every day. Her time with other children would be monitored. Rang would devote himself to finding out more about this past life of Shanti. But this quiet investigation didn't count on one thing. The willpower and desperate curiosity of young Shanti herself. The next few years passed by somewhat uneventfully. Shanti spoke less about her identity issues to her family, although she stuck to the sattvic meals and every year requested a picture of Krishna for her room. But she found it difficult to spend time around other children. She found the problems and controversies of elementary school life, well, elementary. She couldn't help but voice her disapproval at immature acts or comments. This inevitably led to Shanti accidentally making a comment about her noble husband, or the blessings of Krishna, or the problems with kids their age. She became a target of a lot of bullying and name-calling at school. She was the freak who thought she was married, who thought she was a mother, who thought she knew better than everyone else. But she was just crazy. So after one particularly trying afternoon, eight-year-old Shanti fled into the streets of Delhi. Perhaps the voice of Lugdi Devi echoed through her ears. Perhaps those auditory stimuli had settled and just become a part of everyday life. Whatever the case, Shanti suddenly had a strong desire. A mission took shape in her mind. She was sick of the taunting, sick of hiding her true feelings and pushing down these strange memories. By accepting, by completely giving in to the pressure in her mind, something came free. Eight-year-old Shanti Devi would go to Mathura, even if it meant walking on foot. No matter what, this is what she needed to do. But of course, Shanti was still only eight years old. The sight of her walking alone through the streets caught the eye of family friend and respected lawyer Tara Chand Matur. Tara called Shanti over. Where could she be going at this time of day? I am going to Mutra, Shanti said, with certainty behind every word. Tara laughed, but when he caught the serious and offended look in her eyes, he did something no adult so far had done. He asked for her story and believed her. It was a fantastic tale, but it was Shanti's demeanor that truly shook the dedicated and serious lawyer. As he would later recall to Shanti's biographer, Stura Lannerstrand, Tara Chan Matur did not see a child looking up at him. He saw an adult. It shone through Shanti's every small movement and every word she spoke. He was a man who knew liars and manipulators, who worked intimately with those trapped in delusion, who had children of his own who often told ridiculous stories. Shanti Devi displayed no such signs. She seemed more weary than any eight-year-old with a relatively comfortable life should be. Tara gently took her hand and led her back to the home of Rang and Prem. He explained that Matura was simply too far for anyone to walk, child or adult. But he promised her story was not something he would forget. He promised Chanti Devi that she would one day have the answers she sought. With no other choice, young Shanti Devi carried on living in Delhi. She had given herself up to the spirit of Lugdi Devi, 
but still found herself trapped within the reality around her. Every instinct told her something was wrong, but without the compliance of the adults around her, there was nothing she could do. And so the psychic pressure returned. The schoolyard taunting continued. The looks of fear on the faces of her family became even more deeply entrenched, especially when Rong learned that Shanti had told these things to someone as respected as Tara Chand Matur. Another afternoon, not long afterward, Shanti collapsed in the street on the way home from school. But there was a stroke of luck in this incident. The first person to come to Shanti's aid was Maitri Devich. She was a known mystic and learned woman, highly respected in this area of Delhi. She looked into Shanti's eyes and saw a mind very far away. What did Shanti see in this moment? She was back in Lugdi Devi's life, but the comforting sights of the yellow home and Krishna's temple were nowhere to be seen. Instead, she was in a small, sterile chamber. She felt it. This wasn't Mathura. This was somewhere else. This is where Lugdi Devi died. Maitri took Shanti into her arms when she startled awake, shaking from the power of what she had just glimpsed. Unlike other adults, Maitri didn't ask any questions at all. She simply calmed Shanti and walked her home. The concerned Prem took Shanti up to bed, but Rang offered Maitri a cup of tea. He apologized and told her she wasn't the only one who's had to bring Shanti home after she acted strangely. Maitri shushed him too. She told Rang that she understood what was happening to the girl. Tearful, Rang nodded. They were cursed, weren't they? Shanti would never live happily or soundly. No, she said, quote, Do not worry. Bless you and your family, Rang Bahadur. This child is innocent and guiltless. Her karmic debt is small. Don't brood anymore over the old laws, but go, be with your family, end quote. With that, the Holy Mother Maitri left. Rong realized that he had spent years concerned with the wrong thing. At the moment, it was his parenting that was cursing Shanti's life. If he wanted the truth, he would need to go to the source, his daughter. He needed to take her seriously as Tara did and keep her innocence in mind as Maitri told him to do. He needed to treat her as she saw herself, a soul divided into two halves. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. 
Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Now the story continues. It was the time of the Durga Puja Festival in Delhi, 1934. A 10-day celebration revolving around the triumph of the goddess Durga over the evil demon Mahishasura, the festival also represented the harvest. Durga, as the mother of all goodness in the world, had gifted the world with another year of sustenance and life. As was custom, the Navratri procession moved through the streets as raging water does through a barely contained flood channel. Musicians, dancers, worshippers. Even elephants clad in gold and precious jewels. In a gesture intended to mend the gap between father and daughter, Rang had agreed to accompany Shanti to the festival. She had begged day and night with unusual fervor, pointing both parents to observe that this probably had something to do with the remembered life of Lugdi. They were right. The next movement of the parade involved tiers of noblemen astride marching horses. Shanti's eyes widened. She pulled Rang's sleeve as they came closer to the sidelines. As she watched in rapturous excitement, Shanti explained her reaction to a bewildered Rang. As Lugdi, she had seen a similar march in Mutra. It was on the day of her wedding. She stood on the edge of the street with her mother, Jugti. First, her father, Chaturbhuj, rode through on a horse. And then, in glorious white, her husband followed. Rang held back his initial discomfort. He took a breath and then took a chance. Who was her husband? Shanti grew quiet again. She drew her eyes away from the horses. In a small voice, she told Rang she could not disclose that information. She wasn't sure that Lugdi wanted her to say. Losing control of his temper, Rang asked again. Shanti completely pulled back into herself. Tears formed in her eyes, and she would not look at Rang directly. He had lost his moment. They walked home in silence, tears streaming down Shanti's face. When Rang told this to Prem, she guessed that Shanti wasn't upset with his questions. Something upset her about the memories of this husband from Mathura. Nine days passed, and so came the final day of Durga Puja. Two people arrived on the family's doorstep, the headmaster from Shanti's school and her favorite tutor. Prem and Rang assumed the worst, but the school teachers quickly calmed their nerves. They weren't here to judge, but to listen. The rumors had reached them. While they weren't ready to believe in Shanti's claims, they knew she was one of their best pupils and weren't going to let her suffer. In other words, they wanted to pitch into the investigation. Eight-year-old Shanti came out from hiding. She had heard what they had told Prem and Rang, and she believed them. Rang almost collapsed with relief. Prem knelt by her daughter and asked her what she remembered on the first day of Durga. Her school teachers leaned in, too. Shanti said that the Navratri brought back strong visions of her wedding and the love she had for her husband. She tells them his name was Kedar Nath. The school teachers wasted no time. They excused themselves, promising to send a letter to contacts in Mathura, seeking this Kedar Nath. A few weeks later, Prem and Rang hosted another visitor, Kanji Chubni. 
Kedarnath's cousin. He brought news. Yes, Kedarnath was still alive. But Lugdi Devi represents a painful piece of his cousin's past. And Kanji wanted to make sure no one was going to needlessly aggravate the widower. Kanji asked, where is the girl? Shanti stepped down the stairs and immediately jumped into Kanji's arms. Kanji was taken aback, but Shanti went into a stream of memories, reciting them all to him, including the fact that Kanji used to have a crush on Lugdi. Embarrassed, Kanji put the girl down, but he couldn't take his eyes off of her. He looked between Prem and Rang and told them everything she's saying about Lugdi and Kedarnath's life is true. He agreed to send Kedarnath to Delhi soon. After his departure, Prem and Rang found themselves excited about this situation for the first time. While it had always disturbed them, if this was actually happening, if Shanti's claims were true, it would be a miracle. Shanti, though, wasn't as excited. If this was finally proven true, it would also mean something tragic was true, that a beautiful, kind woman named Lugdi Devi had died too early. Crying, Shanti told Prem and Rang about the end of Lugdi's life. During every month of her married life, Lugdi had traveled to the local temple, praying that she could bear a child for her husband. Krishna soon gifted Lugdi and Kedarnath with a pregnancy. But when Lugdi came to term, she fell seriously ill for weeks. At first, she was trapped in Kedarnath's house, locked away in the master bedroom, unable to move. Before she entered labor, she was taken to another city entirely and put in a small room within a large hospital. It was here Lugdi gave birth to Nonita Lal, her son. But Lugdi died while giving birth. She never even knew her own child. Rang and Prem had no idea how to comfort Shanti. She wasn't mature enough for such trauma, and yet she had no choice but to confront these realities. And it was beginning to seem more and more like that, a reality. Kedar Nath's visit would be a defining one. After a few more weeks, another stranger arrived at the door. He wore a thick coat, glasses, and a furry hat, hiding much of his head. He introduced himself to Rang and Prem as the brother of Kedarnath. Kedarnath sent his apologies, but he just couldn't find the time to travel to Delhi. But when Shanti turned the corner and saw this visitor, she froze. The man's eyes fell upon Shanti, full of apprehension. She walked right up to him and said, quote, Kedarnath, my husband. Shanti once again was correct. Kedarnath had done all he could to test this preposterous theory, but Shanti instantly cut through his constructed facade. Kedarnath stood face to face with an eight-year-old girl and fell to his knees. Quote, my Lugdi, it cannot be, my Lugdi. He turned around to unseen companions outside. Someone else stepped inside, a young boy, barely a year older than Shanti. It was Nonita Lal, Lugdi Devi's son. Shanti approached him, silent and reverent. Nonita must have sensed something in her look and hid behind his father. When Shanti broke down crying, though, Nonita came out of hiding and comforted her. For a few peaceful hours, Shanti and Nonita played together in the courtyard 
with a deck of cards displaying the faces and names of the gods. Prem, Rang, and Kedarnath watched this strange image from a distance. There was nothing to say. But Shanti and Lugdi still had unfinished business. When Nonita grew tired, Shanti returned to Kedarnath's side. She had questions for him, she said. Prem and Rang grew uncomfortable, but Kedarnath allowed the girl to ask. First, did he do what she told him to do with the hundred and fifty rupees she hid under their bed? She could tell Kedarnath had not followed her instructions. Shanti had hoped he would donate them to the temple of Krishna. Instead, he used them to pay for Lugdi's funeral expenses. Shanti looked disappointed, but not crushed. She took a moment, then asked question two. Did he keep his promise to never remarry? Kedarnath answered this one, but first he had to look away. He said no, with shame in his tone. No, I am sorry, but I have remarried. Another woman was raising Nonita. Shanti was quiet for a few minutes. The entire party sat in dead silence, waiting for her to respond. Finally, she did. She told Kedarnath she knew he wasn't a perfect husband. She knew, for example, that during her, Lugdi's illness, he had taken up an affair with one of the nurses. One night, Lugdi had managed to struggle out of bed and found herself before the guest room. Inside, she overheard Kedarnath and the nurse making love. As Shanti said these things, all color drained from Kedarnath's face. He took Shanti's hands in his own and openly wept. She was right. She was absolutely right. He had cheated on Lugdi. And after her death, he remarried to another woman, despite his promises to his dying wife. He was too young at the time, he told Shanti, as if he was talking to Lugdi herself. He didn't understand the commitment true marriage required. But Lugdi taught Kedarnath how to be noble. Without her influence, he couldn't be the father he was now. He begged this nearly nine-year-old girl for forgiveness, looking upon her as his long-lost wife. Kedarnath had no doubt in his mind. This was Lugdi Devi reincarnated. That meant that a year and a few months after Lugdi died, Shanti was born, and inside of her, Lugdi reborn, and still aware of her past life. This news was passed to Shanti's school teachers, to Maitri Devij, and most importantly, to Tara Chand Matur. Delhi was abuzz with chatter about the one who remembered her past life. There was a miracle walking their streets, disguised as a young, normal girl. But this initial confirmation was only the beginning. Shanti Devi would finally make the journey to Mathura, and an investigative team would accompany her. Her claims would be put to the test and recorded for posterity. And decades later, her story would still hang in the air. Shanti Devi's life continued, but what of the half-life lived of Lugdi Devi? How did Shanti reconcile these sides of herself? And did she recall the true secrets of the afterlife? What happens between death and supposed rebirth? The conclusion of Shanti's story comes next week, where we will attempt to answer the question to this seemingly unexplained mystery.
Don't forget to subscribe to Unexplained Mysteries on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Thursday. And next week, we'll continue our investigation into the mystery of Devi and her past lives. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unexplained Mysteries is written by Jack Bentel and stars Claire Delamar and Richard Rosner. <laughs>